Uh, friends, I'll uh, for, uh, start with praying. Father, we uh, are reminded of what uh, you said through us in that reading from Deuteronomy. Uh, we're to love you, we are to listen to you, we are to hold fast to you. And especially we think of the times we're in right now that we may hold fast to you because through you, that is through your son, we now can have life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, friends, as uh, Dan said, the uh, context of uh, this letter, you will no doubt remember, it was Paul's concern for the Thessalonians after he'd been forced to get out of their town in a great hurry. In fact, after only three weeks uh, with them, he had left obviously knowing that he and others had barely given them even the most basic understanding of the gospel. Uh, his concern for them had led him to eventually send Timothy to see how they were getting on. And when Timothy returned to Paul with the news that they were going from strength to strength to strength, uh, he was filled with great thankfulness and joy for them. And so he wrote them this particular letter. And we've seen over the last several weeks uh, something of a true pastor's heart expressed in this letter. We've seen a pastor's concern for his people. We've seen a pastor's love for his flock. We've seen a pastor's prayers for those he cares for and has some responsibility over. Uh, we've seen a pastor encouraged by people who've taken the word of God as the word of God. We've therefore seen a pastor encouraged by people who've taken the word of God seriously, something sadly many in the hierarchy of the Church of England no longer do. We've also seen a pastor thrilled and excited that a group of people have taken the things he had taught them and applied them to their lives. We've seen a pastor who can see some of the good fruit for his labour for God. And we've seen a pastor greatly encouraged by Christians who are clearly flourishing. <laughs> Remember that word? And in these last final verses, we see a pastor who wants his brothers and sisters to keep flourishing more and more so. And so, by the way of concluding the letter, not knowing if he will ever get back there, as Satan keeps stopping him, he wraps up by briefly talking about, yes, very briefly talking about, many things, <laughs> almost like a whole shopping list <laughs> of things. And no doubt things that he has previously mentioned to them when he was with them for that short time. Yes, he, in these last two chapters... Yes, last two chapters actually, describes the sort of life that pleases the Lord. Yes, you could say that the first half of 1 Thessalonians reveals his heart and the second half of 1 Thessalonians reveals God's. Yes, although becoming a Christian involved is in an instant, a Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit usually spends their entire life transforming it from pleasing self to now pleasing God. That's the journey we're all on. Yes, when a person becomes a Christian, one comes to know the true meaning of life, what life is really all about. 
and how in one's natural life, in one's sinful nature, one was destined, yes, destined for God's wrath. But we also came to know that God loved us enough to come in the person of Jesus to deal with our sin by dying for us and carrying it away on the cross. And we therefore know that one day Jesus will return to claim us as his very own and therefore one now has the sure and certain promise, the hope, as I said last Sunday, of spending eternity with the Lord. And so we need to stop to think about it. As all of this new life is, of course, grounded in one thing. It's grounded in what? It's grounded in the word of God. It's all according to his word. And this, no doubt, is why Paul, Silas and Timothy tell the Thessalonians in verses 12 and 13 of this last chapter to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, those who also admonish you, that is, usually one's pastor and teacher. One's pastor and teacher is therefore to be loved and held in the highest regard, and not just because of who they are, but because of the importance of their work in the gospel amongst the people. I need to say it's very easy to criticise church leaders. It's far easier to criticise them than it is to affirm or encourage them. And I've sat in churches under very faithful pastors where such criticism of the pastor has been rampant. You could say flourishing, but in the wrong direction. Now, sometimes criticism is valid, and especially so if one is a false teacher, a wolf in sheep's clothing. But quite often than not, criticism is petty and also driven by selfish motives. And where does such criticism and the lack of respect for pastors lead God's family? It leads, it results in dissension. It leads to unnecessary division. And in the end, it leads to out-and-out ungodliness. Now, although a pastor is to be above reproach, guess what? They are human, just like you. (laughs) Yes, I am human. (laughs) So is my wife. Uh, Pastors have weaknesses, just like you. Pastors sometimes fail, sometimes get it wrong, sometimes make mistakes, just like you. Uh, They might not always run things the way you would like them to run things. They might even admonish you when you thought you didn't deserve it. They might make decisions you disagree with. But because they're human, that's how life sometimes is. Uh, Please may I say to you this morning, whoever your pastor might be, me or someone else, look past their human weaknesses and look to their heart. Look past their human defects and look to the their overall conduct and life. Look past the times they seem to get it wrong and look to how hard they work for you and for the gospel. And if, when you've done these things, you discover that they have a heart for the things of God, that they are living lives worthy of God and they are working hard for the Lord and for you, 
then forgive their shortcomings, overlook their petty weaknesses and ignore the differences in their style. Instead, uh, we are told in the Bible, in verses 12 to 13, this is what we're told, we commanded this. <laughs> now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Uh, let me stress, I'm not saying you should never speak to me or any pastor or church leader about matters in church life which concern you. We aren't to be in a self-protection mode. But when you do feel the urge to criticise, firstly, check your own heart. Check your motives. And if you must criticise, then do it so with kindness, with gentleness and with love. Well, so much for how Christians are to be towards their leaders. Paul, Silas and Timothy now move on to general exhortations for God living, godly living. You could say they move on to their last word. <laughs> Each of these general exhortations, when followed, is designed to enhance, to nurture and to enrich the life of the church. At the end of verse 13, uh, we're told this, live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. My response, easy. <laughs> Living at peace with each other is hard. <laughs> because we are by nature creatures of conflict. Usually a conflict which springs out of the self, which demands my way. Someone wrote a song about that, didn't they? <laughs> And when everybody's self is demanding a different way, then conflict obviously follows. We find it easier to get angry and stir up dissension than to be humble. We do. It's usually far easier than to acquiesce to the wishes of others or bow to their views and opinions. But if we are to obey this Holy Scripture and live at peace with each other, then a humility which allows us to live at peace is what we must have. It's no wonder we're told in the Holy Scriptures to clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe, 1 Peter 5, 5. Well, Paul says uh, next in verse 14, <laughs> it's a shopping list, warn those who are idle and disruptive now, these words can create the uh, sort of impression that we should chastise a person for not putting in a full 40-hour week in their job or a person who intentionally elects to live on the dole instead of working. Now, these matters are important, but they are dealt with elsewhere. I think a better translation of the Greek, the original Greek, would be warn those who are unruly or warn those who have broken ranks. That is, warn those who are not conforming to the general body of Christian teaching. For example, and it's a relatively simple one, we are to speak up, for example, if someone continues swearing. 
Uh, Paul, Silas and Timothy then state more exhortations. I've called this sermon the last word, but, <laughs> but it certainly goes on for a long while. In the rest of verse 14 and in verse 15, we're told, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with those you like, <laughs> be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. All good stuff. In other words, I don't know if you heard of this expression, grist to the mill. Heard that expression? You can talk about it over morning tea. Grist to the mill for the Christian life. Grist to the mill. And in all of this, our attitude is to be, we're told, joyful, prayerful and thankful, verses 16 to 18. And this, this is where it really gets hard. You think Christian life is a breeze? Then try living this way when things seem to go wrong for you. Joyful, always. Prayerful, continually. Thankful, in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here then is a measure of how transformed we are as Christians. Here is where we discover which type of soil we are, deep or shallow. Here is the measure of how kingdom focused we really are. Here is where we see how committed we are to laying up treasures in heaven rather than laying up treasures on earth. Here we discover how willing we are to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice to God, forsaking self and living for others and so on. All these things can be summed up in our attitude to the events of life, in how we respond to life. Like, do we allow events to dictate how we respond to life? Or do we allow the Bible, the Lord's Word? Now, this passage is not suggesting that we deny our emotions. To suggest that it is would be ridiculous. Someone you love dies, of course you will grieve. You lose your business, get sacked or go broke, of course you will hurt. Your 92-year-old neighbour, it happened to some of us, shocking stuff, this the other week. Your 92-year-old neighbour is robbed in the middle of the night. Of course you would be angry, very angry. But the mature Christian passes through these times with a strong faith in God. They know that his word is therefore trustworthy and so they ultimately trust him. They know that his indwelling spirit is a reality for them and so they do not try to quench his work, in some cases his healing work. For example, we looked at this last week, someone we love a follower of Jesus might die, sleep. <laughs> 
And yes, we would grieve and grieve intensely. But we should grieve with joy. And why? Because we would know that they had gone to be with Jesus. We would be able to genuinely pray to God for strength in our time of need and we would sincerely be able to give thanks for their life. For the many years we had together and for the wonderful memories we now also share. Yes, joy, prayer and thanks. It is God's will for a Christian. It is also the mighty Spirit's work in us. And the Spirit helps us to uh, the Spirit who helps us and enables us to respond, pray and give thanks like this, even in difficult times, is the very indwelling presence of God. It's the same indwelling presence of God which is at work sanctifying us through and through, as we're told in verse 23. Uh, Paul finishes up by basically saying, Yes, I'm urging you to do certain things. <laughs> a whole shopping list of things, as I put it. But understand this, it is only in God's strength that you will be able to do them. And it is by the same power of God that our whole spirit, soul and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, as Paul, Silas and Timothy tell us in verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. What a great conclusion to this letter. A letter in which we have seen a pastor thoroughly encouraged by Christians who are clearly flourishing. And here in these final words, we see a pastor who wants them to go on flourishing. We see a pastor who wants nothing else except to see his flock going on in the Lord, increasing their knowledge and their love of Jesus. We see a pastor who earnestly desires to see these Christians living in the light of, gospel, of the gospel, growing up into maturity in the things of God, and therefore rejecting along the way every, yes, every kind of evil. Verse 22. The very last word, brothers and sisters in Christ, is this. And it is. I've only got two lines here. <laughs> Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Or a hug. <laughs> or a simple shake of the hand. Live in peace with each other. As hard as that might be. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. Amen. Thank you all. Thanks, Dan.